welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Kaylee Saracen will discuss COVID-19 lessons learned for K-12 education. Kaylee is an emergency management consultant at Ashton Tiffany LLC. We will also be joined by Prima's education coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Kaylee. Of course. Happy to be here. To start, what were some of the initial challenges school districts faced with COVID-19? Great question. I think initially, at least the school districts in Arizona, they had a problem with the transition to remote learning. For our school districts around that time, they were a lot of them were already on spring break or they had just returned from spring break and all of a sudden they were being told no more school until the end of the school year and the transition online. And a lot of them had never done something like that before. We almost had a nice trial run the year before. There was a red for ed movement where a lot of teachers sat out. And so a few districts had that learning and had something in place to transition to some sort of remote format, but most did not. And so I think initially that was alarming and challenging. Internet access for their students and also for their staff, figuring out what software to use, trying to figure out how long this was going to last, cleaning supplies and personal protective equipment. Even our local fire departments were reaching out to us as schools asking, you know, can we Do you have extra supply? Can you give it to us? We're in need. And so it's this hard balance of how do we help and support our community partners? But at the same time, we're needing those same exact items. So the supply chain was definitely a challenge initially in having adequate resources. And then also community pressure. So feeling this pressure from your community, well, we still want to hold a graduation. How can we do that? And trying to please everybody gets really difficult because school districts are having to be people pleasers a lot of the time. They want to, it's still a customer service type of an entity. They want to keep and maintain their students. And so they have to keep and maintain those family relationships as well. We worked with a group called Tandem who conducted a focus group and then a survey. The survey was about a hundred public school districts, as well as community partners like law enforcement, fire, county emergency management. And they asked, them questions, and this was on the around the onset of the pandemic or just after, so around April timeframe, and asked them questions about their preparations, how prepared they felt. And what was interesting was in their findings, 89% of the respondents indicated that they had an emergency operations plan in place prior to the pandemic. But 87% thought that their plan was missing critical information that would help them with the pandemic response. So despite having some sort of emergency operations plan, there is still the majority that felt like their plan wasn't really addressing what they needed for this particular emergency of global pandemic. And something I kept hearing at the onset of the pandemic, even from community partners, was that key buzzword of unprecedented. This is an unprecedented event. So all those initial challenges were just so overwhelming because it was something that was not seen at this magnitude and that everyone was feeling and struggling with, not just schools. And so it was hard because they couldn't lean on some of those partnerships that they had built up and they were having to kind of figure out how to manage it when everyone else was kind of still trying to figure out how to manage it themselves as well. 
So definitely some growing pains early on in the pandemic and things that they continue to have to deal with and learn from. Once the initial shock was over, how did priorities shift? So once that initial shock was completed, they shifted to focusing on reopening plans. It wasn't so much, okay, now we've been remote. We ended that school year remote, the 1920 year remote, and now we have to shift to how do we get students back in the classroom? What does that look like? How do we do that safely? How do we reassure staff that it will be safe to be at work? People are talking about hybrid planning and having dividing up. So hybrid A group and hybrid B group and having smaller class sizes that way. And in Arizona, we have quite large class sizes. That's something that we've always struggled with. So how do we really space out six feet apart these students and staff members that are on site? So the initial shock of how do we just kind of survive to, okay, this is lasting longer than we anticipated, going to be with us for a while. How do we continue operations in a safe manner? In the emergency management field, we call it recovery. And so it's hard because we're still responding to the incident, but recovery is that return to normal. So there's also trying to do a return to normal, but still responding to the new aspects that are coming out with the pandemic, to the different waves that are happening. So there is definitely that shift to reopening plans. Our Arizona Department of Education created a nice map and framework for reopening, but it was pretty lengthy too. So a lot of great information in it. It was like 30 plus pages, but that can also be overwhelming for districts that are there by governor's executive order required to have some sort of reopening plan. They don't really know what that looks like or what should be included in it. So the Arizona School Risk Retention Trust, which is the property and liability insurance carrier for most of the public schools in Arizona, they formed, together with attorneys, a template of sorts, a reopening template that the districts could use. So if they didn't know where to start from, they could use this template, plug in the pieces of information, modify it to fit their needs. So that really helped them as well. So having some sort of template to help shape their return. But the big questions kind of still remained was transportation. How do we transport students safely? Our buses might hold 80 plus students, but when you have to seat them six feet apart, what does that look like? And how many routes does that then entail? Will we have to require masks or won't we? And then what about sports and athletics and extracurriculars? So there were all these different pieces that schools had to go to their different experts for guidance. So with the athletics, they had to go to the state athletic organization. What guidance do you have for us? For transportation, they had to go to Department of Public Safety. So trying to navigate where to get their key bits of information was also overwhelming because schools are still looked at as a knowledge resource for their community members. So they're supposed to be the ones that are in the know, but they're having to reach out to a lot of different pieces to acquire that knowledge for their community. So once that shock wore off, it was, okay, how do we reopen? What does our plans need to include and encompass? And how can we do so in as safe a manner as possible? How did districts handle communication with their communities? Communications is always the trickiest piece when you're responding and recovering from an emergency. 
what I've sat through a lot of different debriefs over the years and participated in those. And a debrief is after a hazard, after an emergency, the participating organizations sit together and they talk about what went right, what went wrong. And the common thread in every single debrief is improved communications. We need to improve communications that could have been done better. And I'm sure that this pandemic and COVID-19 is not going to be any different as districts continue to do debriefs and do kind of their self-analysis and check-ins and also do that with their partners. That same thread is going to come up as communications could have been better. And so one thing in talking to my school districts that I work with a lot is it was really unanticipated that they would be the hub of information that their community members, their parents and families would be looking to their websites, their dashboards for all sorts of information for kind of even the CDC information and guidance. They'd be looking at the school district's websites for those. And previously, school district's websites were hardly ever used. There was not a lot of internet traffic across the school district websites, maybe to look at the calendar of events and that was about it. So all of a sudden having to have a more robust website in place and to have it be updated, to have it be user friendly and have all of the information that parents were looking for was definitely a surprise. And for some of those districts that don't have a robust IT department, it could have been a potential problem as well. Another surprise was in Arizona, at least in the previous legislative session, it had already been approved that they can talk about emergencies and emergency planning in executive session, meaning outside of the public's eye. So, for the, and this is particular for school governing boards. And what was surprising is that there wasn't any district that I am aware of in Arizona that made use of that during COVID-19. So pros and cons to that, you want to be transparent. You want to let the community know what you're doing. Otherwise, they might be upset and angry. But at the same time, they were really being criticized for a lot of their different handlings and a lot of their decision making. So if some of that was done in executive session, it could have been a little bit more privileged and private so that they can figure things out maybe a little bit more smoothly. So it was surprising that they didn't choose that. Kind of too bad that we don't really have any to compare, you know, for those that might have chosen to do executive sessions since it didn't happen. And then the other piece that we have found is, at least from the parent perspective, and especially during COVID, you can never over-communicate. And that's what multiple studies have found is they were always wanting additional information. What else can you be telling us? And so the districts that really thrived with their communication and getting positive feedback was that they were over-communicating. They were posting information on their website. They were sending out emails and reminders. So parents were never trying to figure out where to get information. It was just always given to them. It was always spoon-fed to them. So a recommendation there is if you're feeling like you're over-communicating, don't worry about it. The more information you provide, the better your community will feel because then they're not feeling like they're being left in the dark. Now, having gone through a year like 2020, what are districts doing to plan and be better prepared? Definitely a great question. And I think some districts are saying it's still too soon and we can't plan yet because they're still so overwhelmed. But 
for those that are starting to do those debriefs that I mentioned and talk about lessons learned and figuring out where to improve on, a lot of them have recognized that they might have an emergency operations plan. Most states and even federal government require public school districts, at least, to have an emergency operations plan. And so those that do, like I said earlier, they felt like it didn't meet requirements or meet their needs for a pandemic. And then there's something in addition to an emergency operations plan called a continuity of operations plan. And so that really focuses on that, how do we return to normal? So if a district has an emergency operations plan, they might not have a continuity of operations plan. So a lot of districts are starting to transition to, okay, we're good on the emergency operations planning. Let's figure out how to do this resiliency piece on returning to normal and do the continuity of operations planning. That's figuring out where is all of our information located? What are our backup systems? If we have a power outage, how long will it take us to get back to normal? If we can't use our building and then we have to relocate, what will that look like? So the pandemic was great because a lot of districts just had to do that anyway without it being recorded somewhere. So it gives them the opportunity to look at what did we do to resume operations where we had to And how can we formalize that process and make it smoother for next time? So the districts that are on top of it are already starting to do those pieces. There's also a lot of different partnerships that they can be exploring. Again, when you're kind of being thrust in the moment of having to acquire personal protective equipment or having to get different cleaning supplies, so you're starting to form new partnerships and figuring out who do I need to be in contact with to get X, Y, and Z. So solidifying those partnerships, creating memorandums of understanding, all of those add to the preparation for next time. And then I'd also say districts, they haven't transitioned really into drills yet, but some have started doing what we call our tabletop exercises, and those are discussion-based exercises. So some have even been doing that remotely via Zoom. In Arizona, all of our educators had the opportunity to be vaccinated as early as January. So a lot of them have been returning to in-person activities. So they've done some of these tabletops in person as well. But what's unique and fun about a tabletop is that it lets you go through a scenario phase by phase. So it gives you a little bit of information about the scenario. You discuss it as a team. There's some questions related to the scenario. And then you turn the page and it gets into the next step of the scenario. Now this has happened. How do you respond? So it takes you through and you can discuss it bit by bit and really identify what your role is and what Susan's role is and what Jerry's role is so that you have a better idea of who's responsible for what. How will that actually play out? And it does it in kind of a stress-free environment, just discussion. So with the pandemic and kind of discussing what went right, what went wrong, what going to do differently and how do we better plan, there's more tabletops taking place and doing so with your community partners. If you do a tabletop with your public health department, that way you can kind of figure out, well, what resources can I expect from public health? What resource can I expect from my local fire department? What is their response going to be and how does that affect me? What are they going to need from me, the school district, to better help with their response? So it really helps to solidify and better understand relationships and roles a lot better. So I'd say that's kind of what I've been seeing districts do now, those that are ready to start preparing for the next time. 
And again, it's okay if they aren't. Districts come in all shapes and sizes. So we have districts that have 10 students and we have districts that have 30,000 students. So it all depends on your needs and where you're at. And if you're at a place where you can start planning for next time, then those are kind of the actions that they're taking. How do you balance community wants versus public health recommendations? That's a really difficult question. And I think for liability purposes, our school districts really felt comfortable using that shield of public health. Per CDC guidelines, we have to do this. Per Arizona Department of Health guidelines, we have to do this. And that really helps them face the public and face their communities. In Arizona, we are pretty divisive in certain communities. We have a pretty big blend of people and backgrounds. And so you have those that it's ridiculous that we're remote. We should be in person on day one. And then you have those that I'm not sending my kid back until every person is vaccinated. So how do you satisfy the wants and the needs of your community when they do vary so greatly? And so for a long time, our districts could kind of use that shield of public health. We are following public health recommendations and we are doing so also for liability reasons. It's out of our hands. We want to maintain compliance with our insurers and we want to make sure that everything we do would be a covered activity. But at the same time, sometimes that changes. And so I always recommend it to districts to set kind of Google alerts for CDC school recommendations or to put a calendar reminder every week to check to see what updates the CDC made for education just so that they could stay on top of it. But even then, there's public health recommendations, and then there's governor executive orders or even federal executive orders. So you're having to stay on top of everything that's happening. One example in Arizona is there were a couple of districts, probably even more than a couple, that had decided to stay remote for the rest of the current 2021 school year. They just figured it was easier this way, Returning after spring break would be too difficult, and we'd start the 21-22 year in person. But then the governor released an executive order at the beginning of March saying that after spring break, everyone would have to be back in person or have some sort of in-person option. And so it really left us some of those districts scrambling, but the governor's executive order also met with public health recommendations. So it's a matter of kind of taking into effect and taking into consideration public health, different government mandates, and then listening to your community. As far as listening to your community, I would also say that you're never going to please everyone. And so if you're trying to please, you're going to fail. It's really focusing instead on the safety and education of those students. So that should be the priority. And the districts I felt like that really excelled and succeeded focus on that, both the safety and the education piece. How are districts involved in community testing and vaccination efforts? Yes, great question. I feel like my job this year really been uh, in phases. I get different phases of questions and beginning in January, that was my phase of questions were vaccinations. Prior to that, we also started getting a number of districts questioning us about testing. So in Arizona, the county public health departments were given a number of COVID testing kits, and it was encouraged to use them at school districts. 
The problem with that is some of the public health departments weren't staffed adequately, and so they were pushing on the districts to be the ones to administer the kits. And with that comes all sorts of fund liability questions and issues. In Arizona, there wasn't any sort of legislative protection for school districts and COVID-19 liability protections. And so if they were to administer tests on site themselves with their own staff, anything that goes wrong, they could be liable for it. And so it was definitely a big concern if their staff administers it incorrectly, if they provide the result, but then the result is inadequate or inaccurate. So we definitely had some of those concerns. But then the question shifted from just the individual testing to something called batch testing, where all the students take their own samples put them all in like the same test tube, and it just helps track overall infection. And so that's something, again, whenever a district was approached with a question of, of, will you be willing to do batch testing? Will you be willing to do this? The encouragement was always to talk to their district attorney just to make sure and to kind of talk through all of those scenarios. But batch testing was something that a number of districts started doing to allow the individual testing or community testing It was more of a facility use agreement, and that we encouraged. Districts are often seen as a community resource, a community hub. And so if public health needed an additional site or a site that more people were comfortable with, then school districts were a good option for that. Then that conversation shifted to vaccination efforts. And again, that question of, well, who's administering the vaccines? Who's responsible for what started taking place? And so with the school districts, It was just figuring out and working with public health. And we had a great relationship. Maricopa County Public Health Department had an individual that was just assigned to coordinate with districts and create school vaccination pods, points of distribution. And only school personnel were to be vaccinated at these pods. So it wasn't a community testing site. It was just for school employees. So it allowed the school employees to get vaccinated at a faster rate. They didn't have to go to some of the state-run sites and wait in longer lines, they could go straight to these school sites instead and sites that they were already familiar and comfortable with. So the school vaccination pods were actually a great success of the pandemic and Arizona's rollout. And that was a great combined effort between county health and also third-party pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS that helped facilitate those. CVS and Walgreens, they provide the staff and the resources. Schools provided the sites and they provided staff more of logistics and how to work the campus and things like that. So it was a great combined effort to make testing and vaccination a more fluid and smooth process. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.